Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw. I I keep saying it's Tuesday Night Jaw. I know it's the name of the show, um, but... It doesn't always come out on a Tuesday, so it's whatever day of the week, Night Jaw. I mean, it was a pun originally by, by, by Scroobius Pip. It was obviously a pun on Monday Night Raw. And, you know, Tuesday Night Jaw made sense. But there you go. That's that's it. Um, I don't want to be tied to, to a particular day of the week. Arguably the worst day of the week, maybe. I don't know. I've not had a proper job in a while. Anyway. <laughs> wow, what an intro. Welcome, uh, yeah, to this week's podcast. Um, first of all... 
Uh, we are obviously on the Distraction Pieces Network, the wonderful podcast network that brings together lovely people to produce some lovely, lovely podcasts. Um, I'm a big fan of everyone on the network and a big fan of, of, of several podcasts on the network as well. Some really, really good stuff being produced and made by the folks on our team. Um, so there's the love, as usual, to Distraction Pieces. Um, also, uh, a big thank you for all the questions for for the Q&A episode. Really appreciated it. Um, I'm also enjoying everyone's sort of... There's been a few... <laughs> I was going to say backlash, and that's really overdramatic. Uh, there's been a few a few bits of feedback from the episode. A lot of people telling me there is there is technically a Vine 2. Um, I'm not buying it. It's not called Vine 2. Uh, therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm wiping it off, off the face of the earth. Um, are people enjoying how in-depth I went on certain answers? to stupid questions but that's me i can't help but overthink something especially the 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 bobby fish frying fish one because i mean i feel like it is a mystery that we need to get to the bottom of so i'm just trying to help out with the wrestling community with these but no i really appreciate everyone taking some time out of their day or their week just to drop me a question someone already tweeted me a question for the next q a episode um i i did bookmark that tweet and i need to remember i bookmarked it so i can answer the question on the next episode so i already i already appreciate you guys being way ahead of this um so the, the next q a episode is probably going to be the end of the month which will be before i trot off um, well, more accurately, get on a plane to Tampa in Florida to go and do the progress show that is over there. Um, I get in on the Wednesday, show on the Thursday, and then I'm pretty free up until Saturday night, Sunday morning, I think. Um, so I'm definitely going to Miami. Where I, I put it a tweet out yesterday of the day of this recording um and instantly got some dms as well some replies of yeah we're going to miami so it looks like i'm going to miami um i I probably will watch some wrestling because you know that's it's wrestlemania week isn't it it's probably the idea of wrestlemania week is to watch some wrestling there is some shows that i'm really looking forward to unfortunately there's some shows that i actually really want to watch that are running at the same time as us um which is a little bit of a shame but um we are super excited to come over and do the show we've obviously been announcing people for super strong style we've been announcing people that are coming to tampa with us i think we're getting close to the announcements of what we're actually doing in tampa so keep uh, an eye out on twitter for those announcements there's some matches that we are really bloody excited about so hopefully all of our fans in in america or anyone that's coming for wrestlemania to come and watch our show uh, hopefully get excited about as well but that that does not mean that we are forgetting about our, our progress fans here in the uk uh our Club Progress tickets went on sale for our Manchester and Leeds shows later on in the year, which I'm really excited about. Um, always an honour to be and do anything in Manchester, really, um, especially when it's in the OT Ritz. So that'd be super cool to ring announce in there for the first time. Also, super, 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 super excited to go to Leeds. They are arguably the most unique crowds I've ever done shows in front of as I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's a wrestler in Yorkshire and has wrestled in Leeds several times we were sort of discussing the 
unique dynamics of what a Leeds crowd bring. So we are super excited about that. And of course, we've got our show at the end of this month in Camden, um, which we've pretty much announced everything for. I think we've got one match left to announce. So that is super exciting, including we've already announced, obviously, Eddie Kingston versus Ilya Dragunov, as well as uh, our two champions teaming up for one night only um, in the form of Cara Noir and Paul Robinson. They'll be taking on OJMO and Connor Mills in a pretty exciting matchup. I like it. They came to us. They said they wanted some up-and-coming young talent. And we gave them to to the best. So we're pumped for that show. So if you come into that, wicked. If you've not got tickets yet, get tickets for that. If you come to uh, Tampa, Rad, or whatever Americans say, uh, if you've not got tickets for that, get on that. And we'll see you at Progress throughout the month of March going into April as well. As for this week's edition of the podcast, I did say that I've been wanting to do this episode for a while and I did say that I probably was going to do it this week. Uh, it is a look at the world of sports era of British wrestling um, and I'm just going to run down a top five um, wrestlers that I loved watching in that era. So this was super hard <laughs> um, given that I had to pick five and... Like the men, uh, the uh, the honorable mentions list is really long because there's so much good stuff and there's so much interesting stuff as well. So people that haven't made the list straight off the bat, Chris Adams, um, despite being quite an interesting person in terms of that era, and then obviously going on to world class championship wrestling, um, young David, who um, was David Boy Smith before he went off. To Canada and and the Americas as well. Uh, Dynamite Kid doesn't make the list. Marty Jones doesn't make the list, um, despite knowing Marty in in real life um, and also being a fan of his work, especially against someone that is on the list. So if there is people that aren't on this list, it's not because I don't like them or rate them because of, it's hard to find people in this era that I don't enjoy watching. Um, do this style. There's people like Tony St. Clair that aren't on the list, but, that, you know, it's it's it was super hard. It was super, 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 super hard. Fit Finley isn't on the list. Like, all this sort of stuff. So I've essentially picked people that I think are curious because of their time um, during this period or the people that helped me fall in, in love with this style of wrestling because, as previously mentioned, on other podcasts I've done, um, I discovered uh, British Rounds... Lord Mount Evans rules, world sport rules, whatever you want to call it. Um, I discovered that a lot later on. I was actually already wrestling and, and, and you know, I've gone on record to say it was a match between Rob, Robbie Brookside and Johnny Kidd that I saw in Wigan on a show that I was on. It was the main event and they, they had a British rounds match and I'd never seen that style before. And that is when I started to take notice of it. Um, and then thanks to things like the Wrestling Channel and, and YouTube, um, I got to to dive deeper into it and find some some absolute gems. Um, so this week, I'm going to try and inspire you to do the same. So a couple of resources I've used. Uh, John Lister is always a, a first port of call when it comes to British historical wrestling. That dude is an encyclopedia when it comes to British wrestling. So I, I can't remember his Twitter handle, but if you search John Lister on Twitter. Give John a follow. He's he's genuinely remembers everything. He's come to Stockport shows for Future Shock for years and remembers all these crazy matches that we've all forgotten about. So John's an awesome awesome resource and, and an awesome person to follow on Twitter. Uh, I've I used quite a lot. This is a site quite a lot. 
um, and that's British Wrestlers Reunion, um, which is it. It just fleshes out their career and and the uh, people's journeys a little bit more than say for for instance like a, a Wikipedia because there is people on this list that are they're not obscure. If you like world of sport wrestling, then you know who they are. But they're, they're to the internet and the wide wider world, there is people on this list that aren't maybe as world no one i think is the best way to describe it as as some others that are on the list so yeah big shout out to wrestlers reunions website for helping me out with a few bits and pieces um and then in terms of youtube to be honest with you there's a lot of different channels that have a lot of different matches and stuff now so i mean if you literally just type in either the name of the wrestler that i mentioned or the the match uh, into YouTube, it will come up. But one of the sites that I, or sorry, one of the channels on YouTube that I use a lot because it was one of the first ones I, I found is um, a channel that has playlists called Tell Em More Yort. Tell Em Yort. I think it's how you say it out loud because I've never actually said it. I said it out loud. Um, and it's Tell, which is T E L L, Um, which is U M, and Yort, which is Y. O-R-T. So yeah, tell them Yort, I think it's pronounced because I think it's some reference um, on YouTube. But they actually have playlists of, of different wrestlers. Um, they also have like, if, if someone's a tag team, so they have, for example, they have William Regal and Robbie Brookside's matches as a tag team. Uh, they all have it all in a playlist. Um, they're proper old school YouTube channel because it, they, they were around about 10 years ago. So a lot of their matches are in like part one, part two, part three. But if you've got a Chromecast or any modern device, you can just line them up and it's pretty seamless in terms of the transition, uh, transitions between the parts of the matches and stuff. And they tend to edit between sort of like ends of rounds or ends of falls. So the flow of the matches are actually pretty good. But if you're struggling to find anything that I say on this list, um, just type it into YouTube, type into Google, it'll come up, I'm sure of it. Um, pretty much anything that hit TV, during that era which pretty much every single match on this list not not pretty much every single match on this list was on tv otherwise i wouldn't have seen it because i was not born in the 70s despite feeling like i was born in the 70s sometimes um so yeah everything's there it's on the internet isn't the internet great wicked right well rambly introduction to a podcast oh you're welcome um but seriously i'm really looking forward to this hopefully this inspires you guys to go and check out some some good wrestling and hopefully it inspires you guys to tell me who your favorite uh world of sport era wrestlers are um drop me a, a tweet on twitter or a dm or something like that or even send me a link to a match that you love that'd be wicked um, my twitter handle is at m richard toast but for now you know what to do Put your feet up, chill out, relax, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw. Greeting Grapple fans, let's take a bit of a deep dive into old British wrestling. So the term of World of Sport era is a curious one because much like my, my example I would have for American audiences is the same, it's similar to how world-class championship wrestling is always is always sort of modern modernly referred to as world-class, even though that was the name of the TV show and it was always Texas wrestling up until the 80s when that actually became the promotion's name as well. So World of Sport is actually a British TV show that had a host of British sports coverage on it. From football, very famously, would have the FA Cup final, which would have a link to professional wrestling as well, um, as one of the most infamous shows in the history of British wrestling. 
happened during an FA Cup final half-time. Uh, it have a, such a wide variety of stuff, including Rally Cross, uh, which I still remember watching on another British TV show that covered sport on Grandstand, which was on BBC, um, uh, back in my my youth as well. So it's going to be referred to as a few different things during this, this podcast. It's commonly known as the world of sport era. That's what stuck. Um, but the actual rule set is referred to as the Lord Mount Evans rules, uh, which were established in 1952 by Edward Evans, first Baron Mount Evans, among other people. Um, and so in 1952, essentially, it was a relaunch of professional wrestling after in the late 40s, a lot of journalists uh, and media kept on reporting on wrestling as fake so the introduction of these rules and the introduction of something called joint promotions is similar to the NWA in America. It was a collection of promoters trying to essentially have a governing body that would A, monopolize the revenue and the industry on a business thing, but also have a standard of rule sets within those promotions. So joint promotions is arguably the one that, that joint promotions is the promotion that was equivalent to the nwa uh, the promotion that probably would stand out a lot mainly because it was on a lot of the, the the turnbuckle covers would be dale martin promotions which is a london-based promotion so if they ever wrestled in for example, if they ever did the Royal Albert Hall shows, it'd be put on by Dale and Martin Promotion. But there was other promoters within joint promotions around the country. So people like Billy Best in Liverpool or Arthur Wright in Manchester were trusted promoters that all abided by the Lord Mount Evans rules. Later on, that would change in the 80s as All-Star Wrestling, which is still a company run by Brian Dixon, started to poach a lot of talent. Um, they were an independent company at the time, and we will go into a little bit about how All-Star started to take over joint promotions later on in the 80s because they acquired the, the certain stars uh, that were seen on TV. Um, All-Star was often regarded to in the 80s as having a better in-ring style. Uh, Regal has gone on record to say that that's the reason why he made the jump over to All-Star along with other people because of what joint promotions became. Um, with the success of things like Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks, uh, the TV shows started to become more about gimmicks. The rise of Kendo Nagasaki, again, is another example of this. So All Star was the promotion, albeit an in independent promotion, that started to double down on the more in-ring-centric uh, promotion and presentation of British wrestling. And if we're going to talk about British wrestling, especially British wrestling that happens on TV, we have to mention my favourite commentator of all time, who is a man named Kent Walton. He was the voice of World of Sport Wrestling or British Wrestling all the way from 1955 all the way to its end. So he kept a job for 33 years and he had that beautiful almost transatlantic accent, but something so quintessentially British about it. Now, Kent 
was actually born in Cairo in Egypt, but was born to British parents and then later grew up in in Britain. So that's why he sort of has that classical British accent. But it's someone that's so integral to the presentation of what this style of wrestling was. This wasn't loud, smash mouth, in your face, promos, colour. It was quintessentially British in its presentation. It was sensible. It was sports presented in a believable manner, even to the point where people now of an older generation still say to me, oh, you're involved in, in British wrestling. Well, it's not real like it used to be. So Kent was such an important and integral part of the presentation of British wrestling. But when you go back and watch these matches, you're going to hear little moments of how weird and obscure Kent was as a commentator. As between rounds, he... He ends up speaking about wrestlers, but not in the manner of of you're used to now, say, for instance, on Monday Night Raw, where you always talk in character. Kent would sometimes just completely destroy someone's character by saying that they're a gentleman in the locker room or, uh, for instance, Mark Rocco coming from a, a horse riding family. It's a very bizarre thing to hear now, but it's something that makes this experience not just nostalgic but something quintessentially British so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to start going down um it's not a top five it's just five people that I really love to watch from this era um and and people that, that helped me understand this style of wrestling a little bit better so I've got five people uh, and they are in no particular order, so please don't take this as gospel. But my first person on my list is a wrestler called Clive Myers, or you might know him by another name, and that is the name of Iron Fist. Uh, Clive Myers debuted in 1970 and was a superb technical wrestler, one of the smoothest of his generation the transition between holds or his escapology from holds is genuinely something to behold. Um, the name Iron Fist came from... <laughs> it's quite a funny story in the sense that uh, it was a gimmick in the 70s that Myers uh, adopted at the height of kung fu movies. Um, as the song goes, everyone was kung fu fighting. So Clive Myers actually donned a mask um, and started to be dubbed as as a martial arts expert, um, Iron Fist. But the funniest thing about it was, apart from the mask, Clive Myers just wore the same gear that he'd always worn. So the the myst- the mystique of the mask didn't really live up to it. So that's where the Iron Fist name came from and ended up sticking. Uh, but Clive was so much more than just just a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek gimmick or a bit of a, a 70s nod. The the martial arts background that led to the Iron Fist um, gimmick or mask thing is something that really became something synonymous with him as a wrestler. He was often linked with Kung Fu, who was another wrestler that was sort of a, a bit of a cash-in on the, the craze during that era, but one of, again, one of the most technically gifted wrestlers and someone who was often imitated but never duplicated and obviously it's someone who will be known to American audiences someone that went by the name of judo Chris Adams um, who is the inventor some believe of the super kick in professional wrestling and obviously someone that had a very very stellar uh, MMA background 
of that time. Clive Myers isn't the most successful person on this list. I guess he's what you would call a mid-card act these days, but the thing that Myers brought was a style of his own during an era where you stood out for several different reasons. And Clive really stood out, not just because of his MMA background, not because he was a far more rangy and and taller fighter than a lot of people within his weight class, but purely based on the fact that the swagger and style of his reversals and escapology was unmatched by anyone on the same show as him. He would later get involved in the world arm wrestling championships and actually be successful in that. So despite never really having a lot of success within actual wrestling, Clive was a champion in his own right. So Clive, he's got so many matches on YouTube. Um, The first match I ever saw of Clive Myers was actually against the previously mentioned Kung Fu. Um, It's, it's a, it's a little bit hammy is the guess the way to to describe it. Um, But ultimately you can see why these two were linked throughout their career, because if there was anyone that had a similar style to to Clive, I guess it was Kung Fu and they always had great matches. uh, One of which was obviously televised and is now available on YouTube. Um, So I I always recommend um, watching Kung Fu in any match uh, as well as, as well as, Uh, facing off against Clive Myers. But I think the match that really, or one of the matches that really sold me on on Myers was his matchups with Steve Gray. Now, there's a few matches with Steve Gray on on YouTube. Now, this is something that happened a lot during this era. It wasn't essentially always big villains and what we call heels now. There was a lot of blue-eyed contests as they were often referred to at the time which is a good guy versus a good guy now the thing with Steve Gray and Clive Myers is they were both extremely popular but the intensity and the physicality of their matchups is something that drew me in they really built something um, in terms of storytelling within the matches but they also built something that was so easily so easily so it was so easy to pick up on and follow along which was look we respect each other but we want to be the best and we want to to push each other to the limit so there is a series of matches between both Clive Myers and Steve Gray that I really really recommend you check out if I'm not mistaken I think they're at different points in their career as well because Steve Gray was often is often remembered because a lot of his matches are sort of presented in a way, but Steve Gray was often remembered as almost a super rookie or an heir to Johnny Saint's throne, which is somewhat unfair because Johnny Saint was this godlike figure that I don't think anyone could quite capture uh, purely everything that Johnny Saint did. But Steve Gray is someone that easily could have been on this list, but for other reasons isn't so Clive Myers versus Steve Gray is my first recommendation um if you go onto YouTube there's several other Clive Myers uh, Clive Myers matches so make sure you check them out okay next up on the list is someone whose tenure was 
short but sweet, given um, the expansive history of other people on this list, but is one of the most curious cases given what they would achieve in professional wrestling. The next person on my list of recommendations for the old British style is none other than Sammy Lee. Um, You've got to somewhat look past the crude and tasteless gimmick that was Sammy Lee, which was obviously a ripoff of Bruce Lee, um, given the the name and the ring attire, which is which is not great, given that Sammy Lee is Japanese and Bruce Lee was not Japanese. Um, but but Sammy Lee is actually um, the first Tiger Mask before they ca- became Tiger Mask Sayama, who arguably is the greatest Tiger Mask and to my opinion, is the greatest Tiger Mask. So the, the case with um, Sammy's tenure in Britain is that you get to see the first bits and pieces of Tiger Mask before they donned the mask and became the absolute phenomena they were in Japan. Now, despite him not being British, he was an extremely popular wrestler during his period in time. In fact, I read somewhere that he was meant to actually have a world, I think it was a world heavy middleweight title match with Mark Rocco on the infamous um, FA Cup final halftime show, which featured Big Daddy versus Giants Haystacks, um, but was actually called back to Japan before that could happen. But the style of wrestling that would become famous for Tiger Mask, including the footwork, um, the Tiger feint, the Tiger kick. There's all bits and pieces in there. And it's extremely exciting to see how Sayama wrestles within the confines of British rules because he is clearly a very capable technical wrestler, but doesn't compromise his dynamic nature and his flashier uh, side. One of my favorite things about this was when I started looking more into it, I actually forgot that he had a lot of tag team matches um, teaming up with Big Daddy, which I think really solidifies his popularity during this time period. Now, William Regal's often said on his live shows, teaming with Big Daddy was an honor in terms of exposure, but it wasn't an honor because essentially you were the guy that got beaten up by the villains before the hot tag and the belly bumps come from Big Daddy. So maybe not the most enjoyable in terms of of actual work rate and match quality, but one that just shows you just how popular this Sammy Lee character was. Now, during his excursion, I mentioned that he was meant to wrestle Mark Rocco. There is a Mark Rocco match out there that does exist, which is an interesting precursor given what happens in their career later on. Um, But the match that I'm going to recommend for you guys to check out is actually a match against Sid Cooper. Sid was one of the best villains in the British pantomime vein. A A capable worker, but so good at manipulating an audience uh, and getting a reaction out of them now this is a really short match i think it comes in under maybe 11 or 12 minutes but this is a great exhibition of everything that made sayama tiger mask great later on in his career and it's a it's a great point of reference to see that although tiger mask was a hybrid of so many different styles obviously would later on go and get involved with with uwf and show that his actual martial arts background and his shoot background was very capable but there was 
these elements of British flair in his reversals and techniques that obviously became more famous with the matchups that he had in Japan with the likes of Dynamite Kid. So I'm going to recommend you go and check out his match with Sukupa. Like I said, there's the matches him teaming with Big Daddy, which is a, a curious little thing that might be nice to check out. But he is the next person on my list. So that is Sammy Lee, um, who is, of course, the first ever Tiger Mask on his British excursion. So from excursions to homegrown in a lot of different ways, um, the next person on my list is, of course, I had to pick a northerner. It's, of course, Vic Faulkner. Um, Vic Faulkner is probably my favourite British wrestling sort of throwback wrestler. Um, and it's it's kind of hard to say why. Um, I think it was... It was a lot later on that, that I discovered Vic Faulkner and maybe took notice of Vic Faulkner, but the minute I saw him and I saw his act, I was immediately enamored with him and that was it that was i was off to the races i i never i never could quite look at anyone the same way from that era um so vic faulkner is actually the son of a, of a professional wrestler um vic hessel was his dad's name and he is actually a brother of a wrestler uh called burt royal curiously him and his brother uh his real life brother burt royal would team up as the royal brothers tag team which always made me chuckle because uh, Kent Walton would always acknowledge that they were brothers, despite the fact that they, he was called Burt Royal and Faulkner was called Vic Faulkner. So I always found that slightly amusing, but they were one of very few actual full-time tag teams or a full-time tag team act during that time period. A tag team matches were more of a... Um, I wouldn't say gimmick match, but they were more of a spectacle and more of a more of a specialized match. As I'd argue, ninety five percent of the matches on a card would be singles contests between various wrestlers from various different weight divisions. So it was great to see that the, the, these two real life brothers had their own flair and style, and and it's again worthwhile going back and watching some of their tag team matches to see how different the style of tag team wrestling was in was in Britain. Um, so I would definitely recommend going and check them out as a team. But Vic Faulkner as a singles wrestler was what really hooked me to Vic. He, he embodies what I love about the old British style, which was obviously skill and technical acumen, but there was a cheekiness and charismatic side to Vic that drew you in. He had several different little acts, um, including one where he would call the referee over when he was in, say, a top wrist lock or or, or a, a wrist lock, um, and he would call the referee over by by loudly saying "Mr. Referee." And as the referee came over, Vic would use the referee as leverage to backflip and reverse out of the wrist lock, which always always got a reaction. He also did another version where he would be on the ground. Um, in a sort of leg tie and say that his, I think it was his shoelace was was undone and then again use the referee as leverage and roll out. And it always had this 
cheeky smile about him. He was never, he was never uh, the embodiment of a physical specimen or the embodiment of, of an athlete, but there was clearly skill within this man that clearly had a lot of fun. Another one of his tactics was that, obviously, during the old... British rounds matches that if you were down on the canvas you could be counted out um, and Vic would lie in wait until about eight or nine and then spring up and catch his opponent in a fall um, a pinfall sorry and, and would, would end up getting a victory in his favor so there was a real jovial side to Vic as, as a wrestler but when it came down to having to turn up and deliver in singles contests. It is something that he absolutely could do as well. He was actually a European middleweight champion for a period of time and had some very, very good singles matches, including one that I'm going to recommend again, um, which was against Steve Gray. Steve Gray is going to come up a lot on these lists, um, despite not actually making this list, because as I've said earlier on, he is a phenomenally talented wrestler and someone that should also be worth your time to check out. Um, they have a great singles contest that, that is on YouTube as well. If you are looking for the tag team stuff with his brother Bert, there's a couple of matches against the Saints, which is actually the team of Roy and Tony St. Clair. Tony St. Clair could have easily been on this list as well. That is a great tag team match. Um, there's various different other contests as well involving Bert and Vic. You should check out Bert as well as a singles wrestler. He was a little bit older than Vic. Um, and I think he retired earlier, leaving Vic um, to sort of finish out the end of his career as a singles wrestler. But next person on my list is Vic Faulkner. Okay, I have two people left. And these are two names that I am sure you have heard of if you are a wrestling fan. Um, the... They made the list because I just think they're so iconic, not just within this period or style of British wrestling, but maybe because they transcended it, especially the next person that is on my list. So the next person is none other than Rollerball Mark Rocco, a second-generation wrestler that debuted in 1970, despite his dad not wanting him to go into the family business. Mark Rocco, for my money, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, villains of all time. A phenomenally talented wrestler, but had such an ability to get under the skin of his opponents and, and the audience. You, I, you know, I said earlier that a lot of contests on these shows were very much face versus face, good guy versus good guy. But the one thing that you always knew you were going to get with Rocco was emotion from an audience. And his way of cheating, I guess, to an American audience would be similar to a Tully Blanchard or an Arn Anderson where he manipulated the referee to not catch him cheating rather than do anything despicable or use foreign objects or, or low blows. There was nothing really illegal about some of the stuff he did but it was very cheap and it gave this aura of of villainous to him obviously he is a heavily decorated wrestler he's a british heavy middleweight champion he's a world heavy middleweight champion and really dominated that middleweight scene and has had classical matches with so many people now i mentioned sammy lee earlier and and his contest that he had with rocco in england but of course mark rocco would go on to be the first real 
villainous opponent for Tiger Mask in Japan and their matchups over there are stuff of legend and are obviously well worth your time. Other classical matches that Rocco had in Britain, for my money, is his contest with Dynamite Kid. There's a series of matchups where I think the first matchup, Dynamite, a very young Dynamite Kid, and then later on, it's when Dynamite comes back from Canada and they have these super heated contests where Ken Walton beautifully and Britishly kind of sort of passes off the the legal tactics or the uh, <laughs> physical side of Dynamite Kid as, oh, he spent time in Canada and America, which I always makes me chuckle. But these two go hell for leather in these matchups and there's a real great intensity that sometimes isn't isn't apparent within good guy versus good guy matches during this period of time now Rocco's also an integral part of the change in the 80s as Rocco actually jumped shit from joint promotions to all-star and was really the the reason why a lot of people then took that plunge as you had the opportunity to go to All-Star and wrestle the likes of Mark Rocco and Marty Jones and, you know, sort of people of that ilk. So it was really Rocco's defection or jump that started to swing the momentum in All-Star's favour, leading to them actually getting onto TV uh, as Mark Rocco would take his world heavy middleweight championship with him. Now... I mentioned the physicality of the matches with Dynamite. Now, if there's an equal in terms of the physicalities of his matchups on British Isles, it is those matchups with Marty Jones. They are stuff of legend. And the thing that always sticks out with the contest between Tiger Mask, Marty Jones, uh, Dynamite Kid, and someone else who's on this list, and Jujin von der Liger, who was known as Fuji Yamada during his time with All-Star in Britain, is that they are the birth of modern junior heavyweight wrestling. To my, In my opinion, there is no argument that this style was born in Britain, enhanced in Japan, and then just taken worldwide from there, from different various sources. But the pace of these matchups, the high-flying elements of these matchups were... During this time period, it needs to be said, were the matches that people would often refer to as they were killing the business. You know, people look down on them. It's 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 also it's always really fascinating during periods of time in 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 wrestling history where someone dares to do something different or or dares to do a different style that the old guard will always point out and and point to and go, well, that's not wrestling. So I think it's always fascinating because. You know, to a modern audience, you know, Rocco's matches with Marty Jones are going to look incredibly believable and incredibly physical. Um, and, you know, some old timers are probably still in a pub telling you something that, oh, you know, it ain't real like it was with Rocco and Jones. You know, you got these young books and all this. And I'm sure that still happens. And I have heard them conversations. So, it, again, for that reason, it's so fascinating, if, especially if you are new to British wrestling, a younger wrestling fan. Go back and watch Mark Rocco versus Marty Jones versus Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask, Sammy Lee, Fuji Yamada. There's always great matches there. His matches with Steve Gray, where Steve Gray is lighter and a lighter opponent than him, but it's an open weight match, and Steve Gray trying to fight up from underneath. You know, matchups with Mal Saunders. The list goes on and on and on. 
Mark Rocco alone will be a day of deep diving YouTube and I really hope you enjoy it as for my money again he is one of the greatest wrestling villain villains of all time and is arguably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time all right so the last person on my list is the most obvious choice to be on this list it's Jim Smallman's favorite wrestler and now commissioner or GM or whatever his name is on NXT UK it is none other than Johnny Saint now in my experience when you talk about world sport wrestling old British rounds wrestling there's two names that always come up from people that watched it during that era or were fans of wrestling during that era. Number one is usually Big Daddy, and understandably so. Hashtag Big Daddy for Hall of Fame. And the second person, if it isn't Giant Haystacks, it will be Johnny Saint. This man defined an era of lightweight or lighter-weighted British wrestling again i've spoken to older people and they would sort of brush past the big daddy matches or or maybe even some of the heavyweight matches which you know in hindsight is unfair but they would always talk about johnny saint's matches especially when he was world lightweight champion um johnny saint I love the story of how Johnny Saint got into wrestling. Essentially, his mum was getting her hair cut by, I think, Billy Robinson's mum. I can't remember if it's mum or, or wife, but Johnny's mum was definitely getting the hair cut by a relative of Billy Robinson. And that conversation led to Billy Robinson helping train Johnny Saint. Now, obviously, Billy Robinson, one of the most famous and respected British wrestlers of all time, trained under Billy Riley in the the old proper snake pit, and then went on to sort of break America, I guess, before a lot of people, um, as well as wrestling in Japan, and and being this massive influence, especially on on catch wrestling, or any form of hybrid slash shoot style wrestling, especially in Japan when it comes to things like UWF, especially. So Johnny Saint's education is one of the very best in the world. And I think this is the the, the talking point that I'm going to jump off on. This is what made Johnny Saint great. He was both rugged and believable that you felt that if you ever got in a fight with Johnny Saint, you were never going to win. But at the same time was so eloquent and has such finesse in his technique as well as this cheeky little grin and laugh and chuckle as he ran rings around his opponents and it's these almost oxymoron combination of finesse and physicality that just made Johnny Saint so unique. Obviously, now his sequences and moments in his matches, including that of the Lady of the Lake, is something that has now gone on to be a super iconic with the likes of Jack Gallagher paying homage, as well as Brian Danielson, a.k.a. Daniel Bryan. And, of course, the Ross Abbott is is the spot or the sequence that everyone learns now when you walk into a British wrestling training camp. So I feel like... Johnny is such a great person to put up as the representative of the history of British wrestling. He is genuinely a gentleman and a man of very few words and a man of, to be honest with you, 
Um, he's got a very humble nature, doesn't like to talk about himself, doesn't like to brag, but obviously still heavily involved with training and helping pass on his knowledge, his invaluable knowledge to the next generation of British wrestlers. But, I mean, I wrote out a couple of matches um, that are matches that I love, and they, they both involve people I've previously mentioned, which is Steve Gray and Vic Faulkner. Just particularly the Steve Gray match in the sense that I, I, you know, I mentioned again earlier that Steve Gray kind of was the heir to the throne in terms of the lightweight division. To, to Johnny saying that maybe he didn't live up to the heights purely based on just how good Johnny was, but there's a great dynamic in this match of of Johnny trying to school Steve and Steve trying to get the upper hand, including doing a couple of his his Johnny's own reversals bringing a wry smile but there's a great competitive nature to this matchup much like his contest with Vic Faulkner in that there is a cheekiness to them uh, I believe it's an open weight match because Vic Faulkner was tenser used to be middleweight and obviously Johnny Saint was world lightweight champion and there's a great cheekiness and charisma to the matchup but I could literally list any Johnny Saint match and it would well be well worth your time try and find as much as a variety of different matches with Johnny because he had so many different elements to his game and and different matches brought out different sides of Johnny Saint. Again, like with Rocco, this is going to take up your day. You're just literally just going to be sat there watching Johnny Saint matches. Obviously, he, he came back later on and, and did some stuff in Shikara um, during their trios weekend and it involves Cesaro and Daniel Bryan and that stuff is genuinely great and genuinely worth checking out there's also uh, a slightly curious now I guess but infamous within the tape trading communities there's a Johnny Saint appearance in Michinoku Pro which I believe is Dynamite Kid's retirement match or one of the last matches that Dynamite Kid had um, and Johnny Saint actually wrestles on the show and is a lot older than he was during this period, but still has so many little trip uh, tricks off his sleeve and little moments and stuff. So th- that was very infamous within the tape trading community. Um, and it's something that I went and sought out. And I believe it is available on YouTube. So if you wanted a curiosity, gets a better of you, go and check that out. But Johnny Saint, for me, if 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 Mark Rocco is the embodiment of the greatest villain of of all British rounds you know, era, and Johnny Saint is the epitome of the babyface. Just likeable, believable, and with a charisma that's really understated, but something that made him so beloved within British wrestling. Well, there you go. Uh, it's, It's a quite short podcast this week, I'm going to be honest with you despite the rambly intro and probably rambly outro. Um, but there's just a few people that I love from this era of world of sport wrestling. Um, again, I, I really thought about doing like a, a big in-depth deep dive with, with this episode. But the problem with it is, is that you start to scratch the surface and then you just keep digging and keep digging and digging and digging and digging. And it goes on and on and on and on. I mean, you know, I said it at the top and I really mean that this could have been a top 20 list. It really could have been. Um, there's so many great acts uh, that all have value. And the one thing I will say, you know, following on from the advice for new wrestlers podcast that I did a few weeks ago that if you 
If you, A, want to find out about the history of British wrestling, this is a great thing to do. Go out and check all these wrestlers. Go and check the wrestlers that I've either named or you've heard of and see what they did. And also, find find what find what worked for them and adapt it to you. Now, that's not to say that you should all go out and wrestle like Johnny Saint, but there's moments in these matchups and parts of these matchups that to us was an institution, but to wider audiences that people have never seen. I'll never forget the reactions that Jack Gallagher got in the Cruiserweight Classic because American audiences hadn't seen that ever before. Maybe if they had, it was years and years ago. And it was almost this rejuvenation of an old style. You know, Pete Don has elements of an old British wrestler, the joint manipulation, the the almost Mark Rocco-esque in, in his mannerisms as well as his uh, physicality within the matches as well as his techniques. There's sprinklings of what makes British wrestling great still within modern wrestlers. Zach Gibson, another one. Um, and I, the list goes on and on. So if you are a new wrestler... Go and check out some of this stuff because it's phenomenal. And if you have a trainer, I imagine your trainer would have spent time training under someone that knows how to do a British round style. And if they don't, then that's fine. Go and check someone out. There's a lot of seminars that always happen up and down the country with people that are either legitimate catch wrestlers or were legitimate world of sport era wrestlers or people that have absorbed that knowledge and worked that style. Um our our history is very rich and is something that should be applauded and held up and respected. And to be honest with you with this, it's it's something that should be loved more than just nostalgia. So hopefully this week's episode has inspired you to go and check out some of the goods the good old days, as they say, uh with old World of Sport British Rounds style. Um alright, well, I will be back next week. Again, I've got a list of a few ideas uh, that I'm kicking around. Kicking around the old Tuesday night drawer office, which might be my spare room in my house. Um, So we'll see what comes up out of that. But until next time, have a good week. Till next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.